Hello again, everyone, and welcome to episode 75 of Now We're Talking. I'm Rob Danish from the University of Waterloo, and this is a podcast about communication skills. So in episode 74, we were talking about the importance of absorbing, diffusing, and suspending. And those practices are related to the fact that people have or always have a lot of emotions, and those emotions need to be dealt with in order for progress to be made or decisions to be made or uh, communication to be successful. So uh, today I wanna put that together with uh, one key question that you can ask people, especially if those people are feeling anxious or a heightened set of emotions around a particular issue. And today's episode comes from a conversation I was having with one of my students, and I, I wanted, I was talking about to the student about what I would call magic sentences. Uh, so one phrase or question or sentence that can do an awful lot of work in the world. So that has really positive, effective consequences. And I was talking to the student about the importance of having kind of like a basket of magic sentences at your disposal that you can pull out and use whenever you find yourself in difficult communication circumstances or having to make your way through difficult communication circumstances. And this is, it's not a sentence, it's a question, but this was my kind of, uh, one of my examples of a magic sentence or a magic statement or question that does an awful lot of helpful helpful work. Um, so there's, and another example of this was a couple episodes ago when I was talking about that uh, process for persuading difficult audiences, there's a moment in that process where you ask the difficult audience, is there anything I can do, or sorry, is there anything I can say to get you to do X or Y? Uh, so if I'm talking to my kid, is there anything I can do to get you to to feed the dog right now? Is there anything I can do to get you to, to do the laundry right now? Or if I'm a police officer, is there anything I can do to get you to get out of the car? Or anything I can say to get you to get out of the car? because it's really important that this that this happened. So that's another example of a kind of magic phrase that I at least like to keep in my back pocket whenever I'm in difficult circumstances, I can kind of pull out that phrase and use it and see how the effect can transform the communicative interaction. So I wanna talk about a similar uh, magic phrase or magic question today that does an awful lot of work. Now, before we get into the what that question is, uh, I wanna preface this with some kind of recapping or rehashing some of the different things we've had to say about listening on this podcast. So we've talked about active listening and we've talked about mirroring. Uh, I've probably at some point talked about psychologists or therapists and the kind of questions they ask their patients and the kind of listening they do. Uh, So if you recall, kind of mirroring and active listening involves rephrasing or restating uh, or asking someone to expand upon something. Um, so if someone appears angry and they're describing something in angry fashion, a therapist or a good friend might say, oh, you seem pretty angry about this. Um, or, you know, and then can you tell me more about the situation that's causing you to be angry in this way? So, you know, active listening is, is great. Uh, mirroring is great. They're really, really terrifically effective. But the question that we're going to pose today goes beyond active listening and beyond mirroring. 
it's um, a, a, a different kind of question that can be equally as powerful. So let me start with a simple example and then we'll get to a couple more complicated examples. Uh, my youngest son is 11 and he's playing a lot of basketball these days. And over the weekend, he was in an overtime basketball game. And uh, even for 11 year olds, it gets to overtime and you know the anxiety level ratchets up in the gym and there's parents are yelling a little bit more, the coach is yelling a little bit more, the kids are a little bit more fractious. So there's all this chaos going on in an overtime game. Of course, it doesn't mean anything. It's a bunch of 11 year olds playing basketball. And they can feel that anxiety. They can like, they can sense it and it kind of influences their behavior on the court. And you see them, they get a little more erratic, a little more nervous. They're, they're looking around a little bit more and they're not quite sure what to do. And of course, if it's a basketball game in overtime, you have to do the opposite of all that. You have to stay calm and you have to execute. And you know, they're 11, they don't really know any of this. Um, Anyway, that my son's team ended up winning, and then he comes to me after the game, and he's like, whew, you know, that was a close game. Um, when I start playing for my school team, and he'll start his school team in January, like, I'm just going to lose it. I'm just going to get so nervous if we're in an overtime game. And so for him, you can see him thinking through what happens when that scenario is translated over to his school team, and he really cares about his school team, and he really wants his school team to win. And immediately he gets this feeling of anxiety around that possibility. And of course, if you want him to play well in the, the basketball game, whether it's for the school team or this team that he's playing for, you don't want him to feel anxious. That anxiety is gonna kind of upend his ability to perform. So I asked him, I was like, well, what would it look like if you went into overtime for a school game? And he started talking through it a little bit. He said, well, you know, my friends and I would be on the court together. Um, there'd probably be a bunch of people in the stands. And like, I'm getting them to think through what it looks like. And so then I was like, well, what do you think you would do? Like what would happen in this circumstance and how would you handle it? How would that circumstance have an effect on you? And he thought a little bit about that and answered it. And then I was like, well, what if you lost that game? you know, what would happen then? So uh, what would it look like if you lost? And he said, you know, I'd be really upset. I'd be really sad. And I said, you know, well, would you go to school the next day? And he said, yeah, yeah, I'd go to school the next day. I'm like, well, would your friends still be at school the next day? And would you still play in the playground with your friends? And he said, yeah, yeah, I'd still play with the, my, my friends in the playground. So as I'm asking these questions of him, getting him to think through the a future situation and a future context and the consequences of him, him inhabiting that future consequence or that future situation, you can see the anxiety kind of alleviate itself and um, be absorbed or diffused or suspended as we were talking about in the last episode. And you know, then we kind of happily go away and go off on our own. And I, what happened in that moment is that that question allowed him to transition from a state of anxi heightened anxiety or worry to a state of no worry and no anxiety and to just letting that, that be. And so the key question here, and I think one of the magic kind of questions that we, we ought to carry around in our pocket is what would it look like if that happened? Uh, that's really the critical question. 
And this does not apply just to my son and his proclivity for basketball or interest in basketball or his worries about his basketball team. It applies especially in more professional settings. So what happens in professional settings is that in any kind of big company or big organization, things are being restructured. Uh, committees are asked to, to change how one thing is done or another. Um, people are asked to move offices or, uh, or, or do a different job or uh, be responsible to a different manager. So change is a central feature of professional life. And to some extent, uh, change is even more prevalent for contemporary careers and people in, in contemporary business settings than it was maybe 50 or 60 years ago. There's a kind of rapidity uh, and quickness to the pace of change. Well, guess what? Change for everyone is a contributor to heightened degrees of anxiety or tension or uncertainty or um, concern. So all this change can foster a kind of environment of high degrees of anxiety or uncertainty. Um, and so with my own department right now, I'm in conversation with my department colleagues about changing the deliberative kind of structure of our department. We have department meetings and then we have these three units and the units have meetings. And I'm trying to encourage the department to consider an alternative structure so that these units wouldn't exist anymore and they'd be, they'd be replaced by these other kinds of things. And of course, whenever you, so this is kind of a classic example of administrative and organizational professional challenge. You introduce change because I think it would be more efficient for us. We'd get more work done. We'd make better decisions if we had a different, slightly different structure. Uh, but what's the reaction of people? People have had this structure that we've been working with in place for years and years and years. So there's uncertainty, there's anxiety, there's confusion, there's tension. So all these feelings kind of, you bring up this change and all these feelings kind of manifest themselves and become present in the course of the conversation or the deliberation. So uh, the challenge, the communication challenge is to absorb, diffuse and suspend those kinds of feelings in order for you to make a good decision or order for you collectively, this, this you I mean collectively, in order for the group to make a good decision about what kind of deliberative structure they wanna have going into the future. So one thing that I will, and I have a meeting tomorrow where I'll ask this of my colleagues, I'll ask them, you know, what do you think it would look like if this happened, if we adopted this organization, this kind of reorganization of the administrative structure of the department? What would it look like? And here, I don't wanna do any of the communicative labor of articulating what it would look like. So the key part of asking this question is it's not a rhetorical question. I don't get to just fill in the answer by myself. Now, I have an idea of what it would look like if I made this change in my department, but I need other people to start to fill in what it would look like. Because when they, so, so the difference here in the last episode, when we were talking about the responsibility of a person to absorb and diffuse and suspend the kind of emotions that are uh, that are permeating a deliberative situation. Here, I'm asking this question with the intention of getting the person I'm asking the question of to do the communicative labor that I know will help alleviate their anxiety or their tension or their uncertainty around this particular change. So when I asked my son, you know, what would it look like 
if you were in an overtime game on your school team, he had a bunch of things to say about that, and I didn't fill it in for him. So I wasn't like, well, it looked like this, kid. I, I wasn't I wasn't doing the communicative labor for him. I was creating a space in which he could do some communicative labor that I knew would alleviate some of his anxiety or uncertainty or stress around that potential outcome. So I asked my colleagues, what would it look like if we changed the administrative structure of the department to this other thing? And I have to stop then and wait and let them answer it. And then the purpose of them answering and the purpose of them fleshing out for themselves what, would, what it would look like if that change took place is not to for me to get a clear and objective picture of a prediction for the future. It's just to give them the space to talk themselves out of the anxiety or stress or discomfort or uncertainty that they feel around the change. So it's, it's almost irrelevant what what the particular content of their answer for what it would look like happens to be. Because the content of the answer won't be, oh, the department will self-destruct and everything will be destroyed and our lives will end. So that's not the answer, right? So when my son is feeling stress or anxiety or uncertainty around the possibility that his school team be in an overtime basketball game that they lose, you know, he's not a fool. He's not going to think that if they get in an overtime game and lose that that's the end of the world that it's gonna be this crushing sort of thing that no one would ever possibly recover from. He's gonna remind himself that the world will move on, his friends will still be his friends, uh, there'll be other basketball games after that basketball game. And so if my colleagues are given the space to articulate a future in which this change has taken place, then they will be equipped to alleviate their own anxiety or uncertainty or stress around a particular change. They're not gonna, they're not gonna just say, it's the end of the world, we're all doomed, um, everything sucks, this is gonna be miserable if this happens. No, they're gonna say, well, you know, if we had this new structure, yeah, I might have a few less meetings. Uh, it would give a little more power to this person over here, a little less power to this person over there. Uh, we need to do a, a certain extra thing when we have department meetings. So they would flesh out for themselves the kind of contextual and material consequences of this change. And well, inevitably, they'll realize that it's not the end of the world and that this kind of thing makes some sense um, and that it doesn't, there's not a future that's caused that's untenable or unlivable or impossible. So a lot of the anxiety or the stress or the fear or the uncertainty that kind of manifests itself emotionally isn't tied to really kind of rational, material, uh, factual consequences of a particular action. It's just that kind of emotional processing, biasing our reasoning about, about things. And then when we're, we're, we're given the space, when the space is opened up for us to think through the consequences of some particular change. We don't think through it in just those kind of raw emotional terms. We actually start naming the outcomes and it dampens the emotional biasing that comes with our stress or our anxiety or our fear. Um, so this is true in nearly any professional setting in which someone is trying to introduce a change. So like I also wanna have a meeting at the end of the year that doesn't have an agenda. Uh, so I want to have an agendaless meeting, and I was telling a colleague of mine this, and I was like, "Well, we're gonna have, probably gonna have a meeting without an agenda in May," 
And they were like, what? Like, what's going to happen? You know, you can sense immediately their reaction is one of stress and anxiety and uncertainty. Because for years, we've had meetings with agendas and we follow the agenda. So I'm introducing a change. And the emotional reaction is to the fact of change. So when this happens, I said to the, my colleague, I was like, well, you know, what do you think would happen? What would it look like if we had um, an agendaless meeting? Like what would happen? And my colleague started to spell out what uh, that person thought that would, that would happen. And you can see them as they're articulating what they think would happen in this agendaless meeting. You can see the anxiety dissipate and the stress dissipate and the reactive emotional reactiveness sort of dissipate and go away. And it gets filled in with this kind of rational prediction about the future. And it doesn't matter to me whether that is really what happens in the course of the agendaless meeting. What matters is that that person in that moment feels less anxiety, less uncertainty, less stress um, about the, the possible change that would be implemented. So this is a really good question for managers to ask their employees in any kind of professional setting when they're trying to introduce change. And in any kind of organizational setting, when you know change is, is coming, you have to recognize the fact that change will spark or cause a kind of emotional reactiveness on the people that are being asked to change. And you have this responsibility to absorb, alleviate, or diffuse, or suspend some of that emotional reactivity. And what you can choose to do then is to open up a space where the person who has the emotion, emotion kind of emotional reactivity, that they then can communicate in such a way that they talk themselves out of that emotional kind of reactivity that's going on. Um, this is another way, like, like this kind of magical question to me is a way of structuring a communicative interaction in, a, in an intentional way that can uh, produce a positive outcome. So here, what here I, I mean, when I, in an earlier episode, I talked about catalyzing conversations. So one of the jobs of a leader is to catalyze conversations, to set up effective deliberative processes. Well, another kind of responsibility of a leader is to set up a structure whereby people can um, inhabit a space whereby their emotions aren't completely biasing their reasoning about a particular change or a particular uh, new course of action. So you need to set up a space in which they can have the room to, to have their emotional reaction, but then let that emotional reaction dissipate in that space so that they end up in more solid kind of rational footing to make a good decision. And this is not so much a structure as, you know, initiating a conversation with a simple question that can do all that kind of magical, I'm calling it magical, it's not really magical work, but it does all of that kind of labor in the communicative interaction of diffusing, of getting the person himself or herself to diffuse um, or suspend or alleviate that kind of emotionality or the, the emotions that come with the circumstances in which they, that person finds themselves. Um, so this is one of those key magic phrases, questions, statements, that I think we should all carry on in our back pocket, whether we're working with our kids, uh, students, other professionals, wh whoever we're working with, when you sense kind of emotions being triggered or um, being heightened, and especially when those emotions are uncertainty, fear, stress, 
anxiety, ask the person what would it look like if this change happens and watch how that anxiety or stress uncertainty would dissipate, would be alleviated by the space of allowing an answer to that question. Um, so I hope in, a, in some coming episodes, we won't do this next episode, but in some coming episodes, I, I hope to kind of pick up on some more of these magic phrases, magic sentences, magic questions that can do a lot of communicative labor in a variety of different circumstances. Anyway, that's it for today. Remember to ask some, some people, what would it look like if, if that happened and see what kind of effect that it has. So thanks everyone for listening. I'll be back shortly with another new episode.